How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. David Hoff, Bruce Levine, until 11.30 this morning, uh, building a bridge to the NFL triple header right here on the score, beginning with Colts-Vikings at 11.30. But it's time now to talk White Sox some more and go out to our guest hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find the Chicago White Sox's special assistant to the general manager, the winner of the 2022 International Scout of the Year, Marco Patti. Thank you for joining us this morning, and congratulations. Thank you very much, <clears throat> Thank you very much guys. Appreciate very, uh, having me on your show. Good morning. Great to have you. And let's, uh, let's begin with um, just that honor, which you, was, uh, you were awarded with earlier this month at the winter meetings. To you, what did it represent? You have been with the White Sox a long time, but I, I believe that you know, when they bring the kind of public attention, it reminds people just how much good work is being done behind the scenes, Marco, not somebody who's out in the forefront a lot. But what did that mean to you to get honored in that way? Oh, well, thank you for the uh, question. Yeah, I uh, immediately brought me home, uh, brought me home uh, to my bringing with my parents and the way they, uh, you know, taught us, all five of us, to, uh, kids at home, uh, the significance of, of an opportunity, uh, how to respect an opportunity and how to value an opportunity. So it all started with the Braves when they first gave me an opportunity to, to be a minor league player and then enter the scouting world, uh, the, the years that I spent there and moving on to Toronto and obviously now with the White Sox. Um, it makes me feel good, humble, honored. Uh, to know that, you know, I took advantage of these opportunities in the right way and and did uh, what was expected of me as part of an organization. And and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that there was I was able to celebrate that night, uh, the work that I, we've been doing for quite some time now. Oscar, congratulations for me as well. And I, I'm wondering, uh, what Sox are – looking for Oscar Colas to make a impact on the major league team this year. This was one of your major signings over the last few years. Tell us a little bit about where Oscar Colas is at and how he fits in with the 2023 Chicago White Sox. Well, you know, Oscar, you know, when we sign him, uh, the years that we've been watching him perform in international competitions, uh, once we signed him, we knew that we were getting a player that 
uh, had some tools that were above average and lots of ability to play the game. Obviously, uh, he took charge once he started his minor league career this year with us and performed at every level that he played in. Uh, I think that uh, the timely manner in which he was promoted from level to level was uh, impeccable. Obviously, he performed at each level and, and did the necessary work. Uh, right now, he's uh, in the right state of mind. He's working hard, trying to get prepared. But at the end of the day, um, Oscar is going to it's, 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 it's going to have to do, he's going to have to take the responsibility and, and go out for the job himself. I think that the organization obviously is giving him the opportunity and he's going to have to do the work uh, to convince uh, everybody that he's ready to perform at that level. Do we, we feel comfortable and, and, and very sure that he's got the ability to do it now. It's, it's, he's got the keys, so he's going to have to, uh, perform uh, during spring training and show that he's prepared for that level. Talking with Marco Patti, the White Sox special assistant to the general manager, winner of the 2022 International Scout of the Year here on Inside the Clubhouse with David Hall and Bruce Levine till 11.30. Marco, when you look at Oscar Colas, now you have been involved with other players signed who whose impact was immediate, Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, and you look at the way that Marco or Oscar has has – prepared for this moment in spring training mentally physically if he if he is let's say hypothetically the opening day starter in right field if he does get an opportunity early on in the season to contribute how immediate do you expect that impact to be and what are the keys in him for him to to realize that potential sooner rather than later well you know um he's got impactful tools he's got tools that 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 can separate him from from a lot of guys, um, and he's got uh, this hard desire. He's he's focused on trying to be the best possible player that he can be. There's no question about it. His makeup, uh, the way he plays the game, uh, he's very competitive. Um, things of those that nature. Uh, the toughest part about a player's progression, as much as you are sure about the tools that he has and how well he's done, is that he has to be. Like I said, he has to be uh, the one that performs. He has to be the one that gives the organization indicators of whether he's ready to handle it or whether he's, uh, he needs a little bit more seasoning. Uh, it's up to him. Now, Oscar is the guy that left Cuba at an early age and played in Japan and played minor league baseball in Japan and played at the major league level in Japan. We feel that those uh, that experience that he has at that level is going to help him uh, adjust a little quicker perhaps in the major leagues than, than, than there would normally we be for another guy. But uh, at the end of the day, <clears throat> he's the one that's going to determine how soon, how fast, when uh, he's ready to make the jump and how well he handles it. Uh, we have all the confidence in the world and the kid as a person, as a player, and uh, we, we're, all we're doing is, uh, as an organization is waiting for him to uh, set those indicators. And once those, those indicators are there, then you know, the people in charge are making that decision. But we'll certainly uh, be ready to, to make that decision. I don't think anybody that any organization in baseball that has a player with his ability wants the guy to spend another year in the minor leagues. But the player has to show you that he's ready to make that jump. So far, so good.
Uh, we're all happy about it. I'm extremely happy about it. I know that uh, that, that Kenny, Rick, and, and, and Jerry are, are happy about it, and everybody that's worked with him in the minor leagues are happy about it. But he's going to have to be the one that makes that wheel turn. And uh, we, we're hoping that he's ready for it, and I feel very comfortable that, that he's got the ability to do it. We are pleased to have Marco Patti, one of the top scouts in baseball, join us on Inside the Clubhouse. He works for the Chicago White Sox. And, Marco, it's not just international players that you've signed. You were instrumental in the signing of the White Sox. Number one uh, prospect right now, Colson Montgomery, a young shortstop who had a terrific uh, season last year in the minor leagues. Tell us where uh, Montgomery's game is at right now and and how quickly do you think he can be projected to the major leagues? Well, the, the work that Mike Shirley and scouts did with uh, Colson Montgomery uh, was amazing. I think Mike Shirley knows him better than anybody else. And um, I was just fortunate to have an opportunity to see him. And just uh, uh, at the end of the day, the credit goes to those guys who um, did all the work. You know, um, his, his, his polish is solid makeup and he's got great ability to play the game. I think that, you know, um, very few guys at that age perform that well that quick. When when you see that, when you see a young player uh, coming straight out of high school and doing as well as he has, it's, uh, you certainly feel good about uh, what you're seeing. So uh, all credit to Mike and the scouts and, and the people that saw him on a day-to-day basis and you know they uh, they they did the work, and, uh, and we're 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 proud that uh, of the work that they've done with this young man and the other young man that they're signing. So um, it's a good it's a good addition to the organization. It's a good addition to the organization, and you know that's that's the key of what we do. You know the key of what we do is we provide the support, not only the financial support from our leadership, we provide with the moral support when things don't go right, because this is a business where you're going to swing and miss from time to time. We all have done it. But when you have the, the, the support of the organization to understand that sometimes you're going to miss on guys, uh, it's important because our job as international, domestic, player development, professional scouting, medical strength and conditioning, is to make sure that we provide a constant flow of players to our system so we can create sustainability for our major league club. So I think we all on the same page. Uh, we all receive the opportunity and the support from, from our leadership. And everybody knows who our leadership is. You know, it's, it's, it's Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn, who are giving us the trust for us to do our part. And we are, we're happy to, to, to be able to contribute. And I think that the things that are coming for this organization in the near future are going to be huge because we are working together to try to build a solid foundation for those guys to have the amount of players uh, that they require uh, to create that sustainability in the big leagues. Marco, you played a big part in signing Luis Robert to the White Sox organization back in 2017. You have a relationship and insight that we're not privy to. But uh, So I'm, I'm asking you this in, in terms of Luis Robert. Everybody understands he's a five-tool guy. The ceiling is enormous for a player of his caliber and with his talent and skill set. 
Also, the biggest availability, though, the biggest ability is availability, and he has yet to play more than 100 games in a season for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I wonder at what point do you think does he have to take that next step or the things getting in his way? Where are we with Luis Robert in terms of expectations and how his health and injury situations have maybe limited his, his ability to, to meet his, those expectations? Well, uh, all I think all athletes go through a period of time in their career, sometimes at the beginning, sometimes in the middle, sometimes at the end. And uh, we hope that this is just uh, a beginning thing where just the first few years of his major league career where perhaps he wasn't used to playing that many games uh, where he came from. Uh, and we understand that his minor league career was short simply because he demonstrated the ability to exceed those levels. I think that now with the couple of years now in the big leagues and having the experience to even play in the playoffs and, 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 and things of that nature, I think, you know, he's, he's probably ready mentally and, and physically to, to, for a longer season. So, you know, you, you know, you really can't put a reason why, because in the case of Louis, he's a hard worker, his body's in great shape and, you know, he's always preparing for a season, but, you know, those, those things happen. And, and, you know, let's hope that it's just his first part, the first part of his career when he was injured and now moving on to the, to, to the rest of his career, he can maintain, uh, uh, uh can stay healthy and, and provide uh, the, the, the potential that he showed us. Marco Patti, our guest on Inside the Clubhouse, one of the top scouts in baseball, works for the Chicago White Sox. Marco, when you're talking about Cuban players, are they different from any of the other, other Latin American uh, players as far as what you pointed out? And that is, uh, with a lot of the other Latin American countries, they play more games. In Cuba, uh, they average 90 to 95 games a year. Coming to uh, the United States and playing professional ball, you add on those extra 50, 60 games, it's significant because uh, it's it's a muscle memory thing, and it's also, you know, ahead of you. I remember Jose Abreu when he came over talking about the challenge of playing those extra games and getting his, their, his body and mind ready for what is pretty much another third of a season. How does that weigh into uh, you signing Cuban players, and how often does that come up in the conversation? Oh, I think it's, a, it's something that we always think about, you know, the adjustment period. So a lot of times, you know, you, you want to not hold it against uh, the players that are a little bit older, uh, 24, 25, simply because, you know, you, you know they, have, they have to adjust. Uh, it's, it's hard to change your lifestyle, uh, uh like you want to have in Cuba in comparison to the one they have when, once they get here and they start uh, playing professional baseball. Not only the, the baseball part of it, but the, the day-to-day part of it is something that they have to adjust. And, you know, I mean, how well someone adjusts is, is, is just uh, goes with the individual. You know, obviously Jose was a little older uh, than Luis when, when he signed, so it was a lot easier. But in the case of Luis and, and every Cuban player that we evaluate, uh, the most important factors are the ability and the ability to play the game. Uh, where the fact that they have to adjust is maybe a little bit of a negative 
the positive side about a Cuban player is that most of those guys are polished to the point where, you know, from their baseball standpoint, they're, they're almost ready. Uh, now the other part that you have to wait on is the, the fact that they have to adjust and, and learn the system. Uh, once again, one of the reasons that I think Oscar has benefited from playing in Japan is that he already got that out of his system and living in a big city like Japan and the, the regiment that they have over there, I think it's going to help his career here. So, but it's something that we always wait. But at the end of the day, our, our purpose is to find the best available talent for this organization. And, and, you know, even though we have those factors in mind, it's always, uh, uh, the most important fact is, is their ability to play. Marco, last thing I have for you is I, I wonder, as you mentioned Colas and you mentioned Abreu and Luis Robert and so Yoki Cespedes, all these great players and finds that are listed in your resume, and you look at the players that you have scouted over the years that have, have panned out, is there any one characteristic that, that ties everything together? The one thing that you may look for in a trait that convinces you that this is a risk worth taking or this is a player worth signing? Yeah, I think the, the most important ingredient is, is to know that you have a good citizen, a good person, someone that, you know, is not going to embarrass the organization, is not going to embarrass himself. And obviously the ability to play the game, the ability to excel on the field is important. Um you know, players are all different, you know, whether they're Cubans, Dominicans, or Americans, they're all different. But I think the guy, the, the person that has uh, the projection to play in the big leagues, somewhere along the line, he's going to show you the discipline that it requires to become a major league player. I think major league, as much as we do as organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, in the development of players, the player has to have the responsibility, the burning desire to go home during the offseason and do what it requires for him to be prepared for the following year. I think that's where players really separate themselves. They separate themselves when they go home, when there's nobody watching them, when there's nobody telling them what to do, and they're the ones that take the initiative to do the work that it requires for them to reach the next level. That's the most important thing. Marco, David, and I really appreciate your time. We hope that you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Thanks for joining us and making our show better with all the knowledge. And, and again, congratulations on your award as International Scout of the Year. Thank you very much, guys. My pleasure. Marco Patti, the special assistant to the White Sox and the International Scout of the Year for 2022, talking about Signing Oscar Colas and Jose Abreu, really good stuff right there from Marco Patti. And, Bruce, we will continue with the very interesting interview subjects with Pat Hughes, the Hall of Fame broadcaster, the score's very own, joins us next on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Here we go, Montgomery's pitch. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. 
Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. David Hall, Bruce Levine until 1130 today. And that was the highlight that no Cub fan ever gets tired of hearing. And that is the voice that everybody recognizes. The soundtrack for every baseball fan summer here in Chicago. And we are lucky enough to have him as a colleague here at the score. We go out to our guest hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find the one and only winner of the Ford Frick Award, future Hall of Famer, Pat Hughes. Good morning, Pat. How are you? David, I'm fine. Bruce, nice to be on with you guys. Every time I hear that highlight, uh, the thought uh, strikes me that when you're broadcasting live and there's no script, you're not reading, you're just uh, you know, speaking extemporaneously, there's no guarantee that the words are going to tumble out in the proper order. No guarantee whatsoever. And uh, thankfully, everything came out okay that night. You know, it's interesting, Pat, and it's great to have you on as always. And the congratulations once again for going into the uh, Hall of Fame as the Ford Frick Award winner in 2022. Uh, when when people know that there's a, a great moment ahead, fans always ask me, do you think broadcasters plan? Do they, do they have an idea, a framework of what they want to say if that big moment occurs? You know, you go back. And, and you look at the, the great calls that you made. And, uh, you know, Kerry Wood, the momentum building up to 20 strikeouts. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire uh, chasing uh, uh, Babe Ruth and Roger Maris and, and, and going past 61 home runs. And now, uh, you're 2016, you're sitting there, the seventh game of the World Series. The, the game goes up and back. It looks like a Cub win. It looks like a disaster for the Cubs. It comes back to being a win. But uh, from from your perspective, do broadcasters prepare a framework for a great call, or do you, in your case, do you just let it happen? Well, you know it's coming, Bruce, and and it's a it's a great question and a fair question. You don't know exactly how the game is going to end. It could end any number of different ways. A home run, a single, a strikeout, a routine pop-up, a ground ball to short, uh, whatever, it, it could end. So to try to plan out exactly what you're going to say, I think, is a very slippery slope. I was actually telling myself, because I, I knew that no matter what the call would be, it would be replayed over and over and over again, thousands and eventually maybe even millions of times. And I have a strong sense of baseball history. I love history, and I wanted it to be good, obviously. So I was nervous, but I tried to be as spontaneous as I could. I was telling myself like uh, things like, don't get too excited. Keep your voice under control. You don't want to get hysterical. Speak clearly. Make sure that the words you say are clearly understood. Keep your voice down. Again, I did not want to, to have my voice cracking, and, and uh, that would have been disastrous. So there are a lot of things going through it, plus the fact, Bruce and Dave, a lot of people were asking me, hey, what are you going to say if the Cubs win? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I heard that question over and over virtually every day. So that was on my mind. I said, I don't know, because I don't know how the game is going to end, and I don't know what kind of a game it's going to be either. That's another important factor. If you plan out something that you think is real clever to say at the end of a game, it might fit perfectly in a cliffhanger. But if it's a 15-to-1 final score, 
that same clever saying might be very inappropriate. So uh, I think spontaneity is always the best way to go. Try to be under control. Try to be dramatic. Don't overdo it. And I always think, personally, I don't ever want it to be about me. It's always about the Cubs and the people listening. Great advice, Pat. That is terrific advice, especially the last part. And I think that's what's interesting about all that's happened to you in 2022. You know, people get reflective during the holidays. And as you look back at your year, in the summer, you were inducted into the Cubs Hall of Fame. And then last week, you got the call that everybody hoped you would get and and brings you baseball immortality. And I I just wonder, as you reflect on the past year and have had a couple days now to let everything sink in, a man with your humility, how do you put it all in perspective and how special has this year been? Well, it's extremely special, David, and and thanks for those kind words. You and Bruce have always both both been so nice to me. And um, it's an emotional thing. You start thinking about your childhood and, and how you started when you began loving baseball, and then you get into broadcasting. You start thinking about the early days there, the people that helped you. And I, I keep thinking about my parents. I wish that they could both be alive to experience this. They were educators. Uh, my father, a college professor. My mom, an elementary school teacher. Uh, they loved learning. And my dad was a sports nut. He used to take us to Giants games and 49ers games and Warriors games. And he taught at San Jose State. So we saw a lot of San Jose State football and basketball games. And I went to San Jose State. So you start thinking back to your childhood and when you began. And and uh, it, it's very emotional. But you think about all the people that helped you along the way, your first jobs, your first minor league jobs, your first big league jobs, your first Cubs games. Ron Santo, I've thought about him an awful lot lately. Ron Coomer and Zach Zaidman, uh, my current partners. Ron is just uh, one of the best people, not necessarily just in broadcasting. Ron Coomer is one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. I absolutely love him. Zach is a wonderful third man in the booth. We have fun every day. Uh, it's not an easy job. I, I Maybe it is for some other people. It's not for me. I feel like I have to do my homework. I have to be ready to go. I have to keep my head clear. It's always about trying to get Ron Coomer's knowledge of baseball regarding things like techniques of hitting and fielding and base running, although he didn't do all that much base running, but he was an (laughs) excellent hitter. (laughs) That's a little joke, Ronnie, if you're listening. But um, you know he is. What's that? And you know he is. (laughs) (laughs) I try to get his knowledge on the air. I feel like that's part of the job of the play-by-play man. So I've I've been thinking about a lot of other people and all the help I've had. And I I will say this, too. I think Cub fans, in some cases, they were almost as excited for me to get the Ford C. Frick Award phone call from Cooperstown. They were almost as excited as I was. So I love them for that. And thank you if you were one of those people that I'm talking about. Pat, uh, the territorial... Uh, domain of big league baseball broadcasters. It was something that was brought to my attention right away 40 years ago, uh, 42 years ago, when I first went into the booth with uh, Jack Brickhouse in his last last year of broadcasting. And, uh, and, and I realized there was a different aura in there that you, it was almost like a house of worship that you walked into, that uh, it was somebody's home. 
can you d describe the territorial uh, situation in a in a uh, broadcast booth and what that's like? Because even though I was fortunate enough to do 162 games with you guys in the pregame uh, this year, as I have the last four years, um, it's still you you walk you tread a little lightly when you walk into a broadcasters booth. What is your thought about the territorial situation with broadcasters? Very interesting question, Bruce. I don't think anyone has ever put that question to me before, so thank you. I think every booth would probably be a little bit different, and it would depend upon the personalities and the performers and the management of a particular broadcast team. And if it's radio, that's one feeling. If it's television, there will be more people in the booth, like a cameraman, an assistant director, or maybe a stats man. In radio, it's pretty much Ron Coomer and me in the front row, Zach Zaidman and the engineer, Paul Zarang, or Rich Wyatt in almost every case with the Cubs, in the back row. So it's just four of us. And we laugh sometimes. People come into the booth and say, where's the rest of the staff? Where do you get all the information? And, you know, we kind of <laughs> we kind of smile amongst each other and say, you're looking at them. It's us. I mean, this is this is all there is. So I, I don't know. I think what I try to create, and it's not all my call, but it's part of my call, certainly, is to create an atmosphere of fun and of information and professionalism. I like things to be quiet before the game uh, when we are doing our preparation. Uh, but I want it to be fun. I, I want people to be in a good mood. Uh, David, you joined us for a broadcast this past year. We loved having you. You made some good points. And I hope you feel like you were part of the team because you certainly were. Bruce, you're on every single day, a pregame show. And uh, you do a tremendous job, too. You're always prepared. So it's just, um, I don't know, the, the atmosphere in the booth, it would differ from team to team. But I like to have fun. I like people to feel comfortable when they're in there with me. And I think that's the atmosphere that creates the best broadcast. That's just my opinion. Pat, I told the story last Saturday about being with you in, in 2017 during one of your doctor's visits after you were recovering from having three surgeries in 14 months, uh, recovering from the lesions from dysplasia. And I told the story because I think what it said about you as a person, and I wondered if you could pick it up from the point where after the column that I wrote for the Tribune appeared, it was there forever. It's there on Google. Anyone can find it. Jonathan Brandmeier, Chicago broadcasting legend, was going through something similar that you went through, and he found it. And this was fairly recently. And he reached out after finding it, and he reached out to you to find out more information. And from what I understand from Johnny B., who contacted me after that, you connected him with Aaron Friedman, the doctor who you have been dealing with and he also just was eternally grateful to you because of number one your willingness to help him and secondly just the way that you dropped everything to to do that because you sensed the need and you understood what he was going through johnny b uh i don't know what if you had a past with him before pat but it seems like you guys are going to be forever connected now Absolutely. And David, thank you for writing that column those uh, four or five years ago. Very helpful. Uh, and it did get the word out that uh, there is a way, if you have problems with your voice, possibly to have the problem corrected. Dr. Aaron Friedman is an absolute genius in the area of otolaryngology, 
and that means voice boxes, basically, and he can repair them. Uh, dysplasia is a precancerous growth that appears on your vocal cords. It creates scratchiness in the voice. Jonathan Brammeyer experienced the same thing that I did. He saw your great column, David. He contacted me, and yes, I was happy to help him. I'd be happy to help anybody because when you're a broadcaster and there's something wrong with your voice, you feel this wave of fear and paranoia going through you thinking, my career might be about over. I may not be able to do this much longer. And that's frightening when you're at, you know, at a certain age. Now, as you get older, it's less of a concern. But boy, when you're in your 40s or 50s, you think, I, I don't want to miss out on the final 20 or 30 years of my career because of this disease. So I did put John in contact with Dr. Aaron Friedman, who now is over in Cincinnati. And I, by the way, I talked to Aaron Friedman this week and I got good news. I do not need any surgery right now. Cross my okay. fingers and knock on as much wood as possible. I hope I don't need any surgery uh, anytime soon. But Johnny B went over there. Dr. Friedman worked on him, performed surgery. Johnny B has been very gracious and thanking me profusely. But um, Dr. Friedman is just uh, a marvel. And um, he was uh, trained by a specialist, a voice specialist in Boston, and just a, a brilliant guy and a great guy. So if you have any problems, I would definitely contact him, especially if you're a broadcaster. This is the holiday season. There is a website called BaseballVoices.com, which Pat Hughes runs. On that website, you will find many different CDs that Pat sells of great Hall of Fame voices of broadcasters from the past that he put together and also some great scorecards of Pat's that he has uh, put together for uh, him to sign and send to you. Pat, take it away. Uh, nothing better than a Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, or uh, any type of holiday gift than one of your uh, scorecards. Tell us a little about it. Well, Bruce, you're very kind to bring that up. The CDs you mentioned, I think for Cub fans, uh, the most popular ones have been Harry Carey, Ron Santo, and then the CD we put together after the World Series called The Chicago Cubs Win the World Series. And I serve as the producer, narrator, and writer on all of these productions. And I have learned an awful lot about my business. It has been a labor of love. And, yes, there's also a, um, a, uh, a profit motive, if you call it that. But uh, mainly I wanted to learn about my business, and I feel like I've done that. I've got CDs on people like Mel Allen and Red Barber and the great Bob Costas and Marty Brenneman and John Miller and Bob Euchre and Milo Hamilton and uh, Harry Callis and Bob Prince. Um, they're at BaseballVoices.com. I will personalize all of these for you. And I think lately, Bruce, the scorecards have been the most popular item. It's my personal scorecard from Game 7 of the World Series. There are also scorecards of the Kerry Wood 20-strikeout game, uh, the scorecard of Game 6 of the NLCS when Kyle Hendricks pitched the game of his life and beat the Dodgers to put the Cubs into the World Series. Uh, those are fun. I personalize all of them, and they make a great little gift. They're very affordable. The CDs start at $18. The scorecards, I think, are right around 20 But, uh, again, I will call you if you order two or more to make sure that the personalizations are exactly as you hope and want. 
and uh, it's available at baseballvoices.com. But I would recommend if you want them for the holiday, uh, Christmas Eve is a week from today. We will do the best we can to get things out quickly, but the mail service has slowed down a little bit, so please order right away if you'd like it by a week from today. And you have Hall of Fame on it now, so if you have an older version, HOF can go on that now, right, Pat? (laughs) (laughs) Bruce, I am still getting used to that, but um, the transition has been rather enjoyable. Let's put it that way. Uh, I have been signing my name with the letters HOF for Hall of Fame 2023 down below, and it gives me a thrill every time. And something tells me that that thrill is not going to go away anytime soon. Pat, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the holidays with your family. Looking forward to seeing you, hearing you at the Cubs convention next month, and we are so thrilled and appreciative to be your teammate here at the score uh, from Mitch Rosen on down. This has just been a privilege. And now that you are in the hall of fame, it's, it's great because it's been a long time coming and nobody deserves it more. Thanks for your time this morning. David, you're very kind, Bruce. Great to be with you guys. Always happy holidays to you guys. Pat Hughes, the hall of fame broadcaster, voice of the Cubs and colleague here at six, seven, the score, Bruce, lot to get into still, when we come back, Cubs, Sox, maybe you want to weigh in, 312-644-6767. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse at Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Don't go anywhere. We're here until 1130 today, building a bridge to an NFL triple header right here on the score, beginning with Colts and Vikings at 1130 at the top of the hour. I will share my thoughts on the Hall of Fame ballot I filled out this week, voted for a certain White Sox left-hander. We'll get into that, Bruce. Great to hear from Pat Hughes. What a voice. What a friend. And, and I think when you talk Cubs, as we shift our focus there, I want to ask you a quick question because we don't have a lot of time in this segment, but Eric Hosmer is out there now, Bruce, and there's a lot of some speculation on social media. Cub fans are wondering, does he fit 34-year-old, 33-year-old left-handed hitting first baseman, maybe outfielder? What do you think? I look at it as, why would you sign him to block Matt Mervis? You have a left-handed hitting first baseman, but some other people might uh, disagree. Maybe the White Sox? I don't know. What do you think about Eric Hosmer? Well, I, I think it would be great for either team. But first of all, first and foremost – they talk about Eric Hosmer as a, uh, a locker room force. They talk about him as a locker room presence. They talk about him as a most important person for those championships in uh, 14 and 15. Obviously, uh, the uh, Royals went to two World Series in a row and won one. Uh, the reason he was signed to an eight-year deal by San Diego and A.J. Preller were all these factors and the fact that he was a terrific ball player, a great first baseman, and an outstanding hitter. Um, the contract wasn't going to be great at the end. He's nearing the end of his career, but there's probably a couple years left in him. And if you want somebody that's going to give you everything he has and be a remarkably important presence in your clubhouse, I think there's there's no reason not to sign him if you're the Chicago Cubs because he can bring to you an awful lot 
for a very little amount of money since uh, San Diego had to pay this entire contract. And uh, I think it's a win-win. You bring him in, you see what he has left. He's never going to be anything but a positive influence on your team. But on the other hand, you're blocking your minor league player of the year. You're blocking a guy who comes from the same side of the plate and hopefully hits for power. And I think it's a duplicate part for a team that – I'm not quite sure what the Cubs are going to be in 2023 yet because it remains TBD depending on what they do in free agency. But I don't know how Hosmer does anything but complicate the development of Mervis. Well, who's your DH? Fair enough. That could be. Yeah, but is, is, National is, is League Hosmer, has a DH now. I'm aware. I pay attention, Bruce. I know that. But I still <laughs> think that when you look at Hosmer, does he have enough pop in his bat to think that, think that he's the – regular designated hitter? It's a great question. It's fair. But uh, what do the Cubs have in the way of left-handed power besides Mervis? What am I missing here? Eight home runs and three – eight homers and 388 bats, 268 average. He's a 1.1 war player last year. I I don't know. Tell tell me about the the Cubs' left-handed hitting. It's a short story. There's not much there. I right. get it. I'm just All saying, right. what if you have to release him at some point, you know, okay. You know, it, it's just, I, I just think when you have a, the quality of an individual who's accomplished what he, he has in the game and has been there, and you have a young team that's building toward being a contender again, I, I, think, it, I think it's only a win. There's, there's no way it can hurt you. That's how I look at it. So... That, that's why I'm for it. I hope that they don't sign Eric Hosmer and expect us to buy that as the a, a big move. I still want them to make that no, big, big not. move. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, that either or. Be, yeah. That that's just protection mode. Okay. That's that's not that's not a big move. That's not something you just say, hey, he's gonna be our first baseman and uh, you know, Mervis is gonna break his break the way in. But I, I will say that the Cubs will be signing an probably a right-handed first baseman. And, it, you know, they've talked to Trey Mancini uh, and his representatives at length, and hopefully uh, something can be done there. There are other teams that are looking at Mancini as well, and he has all those same qualities that uh, Asmer has. All right, when we get back, we will talk Hall of Fame ballot and certain White Sox left-hander on it and some of the other decisions that went into filling out this year's Hall of Fame ballot. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse until 1130 today. Stay tuned on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! A perfect game by Mark Burley. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score here, here until 11-30. Vikings and Colts here on the score, part of an NFL triple header all day long. Bruce Levine, David Haw, that was a highlight courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. Thank you, good to hear Hawk talking about Mark Burley. Bruce, why are we playing a Mark Burley highlight? Well, I voted for him on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. He was one of five names that I submitted, uh, the check is in the mail, the ballot is in the mail, as they say, and Mark Burley is a pitcher that, as baseball evolves, so do my opinions about what makes a Hall of Fame pitcher. And I did not vote for Mark Burley in his previous times, two previous times on the ballot. 
but this year felt different because this year I think I filled out the ballot this week, but I made my mind up last summer watching pitchers go four and two-thirds innings and getting praise for it and wanting to appreciate one of seven pitchers in Major League Baseball that have gone 200 innings, 14 straight seasons. Mark Burley in that group. The other six, they're in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's an, it's an interesting uh, argument, and, and I think you, you, you put it out there very eloquently, the idea that um, you, you're, you're reimagining what Mark Burley was. But, David, don't you have to look at the era he pitched in and the reason why you didn't vote for him up until this year, uh, the fact that people aren't hitting those strides any longer? Should that really have an impact? on whether or not he's a Hall of Fame worthy pitcher or not. In other words, I think so. He, he wasn't on your two previous ballads. Right. But uh he is now because you appreciate him more because very few people can throw the um, amount of games and amount of innings and and have the the consistency that he had. I think the reason is because I'm acknowledging the fact that it's difficult to appreciate things in real time. And in real time what Mark Burley accomplished was, well, he was efficient. He was the guy that pitched. And you, if you were a sports writer, you knew you were going to make deadline. And if you were a fan, you were going to have to keep – you're going to be able to keep your dinner reservations. He was efficient. He was consistent. And he was dependable. And I think that he's one of those things in life where you don't appreciate at the time. But as time passes, it, his stature is enhanced. And I think that's totally right. natural. I, I'm not trying to – cop out for why he didn't vote for him before, but I think as the game continues to change and evolve, Bruce, his numbers, I'm anticipating, will look more impressive. So that is why I'm shifting now rather than later because I think eventually people will come to look at him in a different way. Well, numbers are interesting, but, uh, you know, if let's say you're David Hall and you never saw him pitch a game and you saw his numbers, you, you, might, you might be inclined – three or four years to now, from now to say, hey, he won 214 games. Hey, uh, he made all his starts uh, 16 years in a row. Hey, he was a five-time uh, All-Star, four-time Gold Glover. Hey, uh, he was Mr. Consistency. But uh, part of the criteria for the Hall of Fame, as it's laid out to us, the voters, is was he a dominant player uh, during his era when he pitched? And... You know, for Mark, what's going to keep him out and what has kept him out is the fact that uh, he was only in the top top eight or nine of Cy Young award-winning uh, votes uh, one time in his career. He mm -hmm. was Mr. Consistency, but he wasn't Mr. Dominance. And to be in the Hall of Fame, you have to be dominant. Never won a Cy Young award. Uh, you know, never, uh, you know, was in a situation where... Uh, he was looked at as the best pitcher in the game. He was just the guy that went to work every day and did a good job. Okay, so people like you and I have to decide, is that good job better now than it was while he was doing it? And and I, I'm still contemplating all of that. You know, I, I do look at the numbers and I do say, wow, here's a guy, you know, we'll never see 200 innings again times all these years in a row. Um, do, do I acknowledge that as something great or something very good? And do I miss my road when I'm on the Hall of Fame track of voting? I, 
I think greatness can be found often in longevity. And sometimes it's taken for granted that the greatest ability in professional sports really is availability. And Mark Burley took the ball every fifth day. And so when you look at what he was able to accomplish in going 15 seasons of having double-digit victories, no, he didn't finish in the top five more than once in Cy Young Award voting, but he was consistent to the point where he won 214 games back when victories mattered. He had five all-star appearances and four gold gloves, so he fielded his, his position well. And he recorded more outs, and pitchers are there to get outs. He recorded more outs than any pitcher in Major League Baseball from 2001 through 2015. So, Bruce, no, he's not Warren Spahn. No, he's not Greg Maddox. But he is, to me, somebody who deserves baseball immortality for things that will age well, characteristics that make him different and set him apart. Yeah, I'm not there yet on Mark Burley. And, again, I I can't think of a player that I – admired or liked better than Mark Burley or someone who was uh, so good to the fans and the media. He's one of my favorite people that I've ever covered. But I I don't think that should color my opinion as to whether to vote for him or not. And I'm not there yet because he wasn't a dominant pitcher in his era. And uh, because of the fact that um, he was a very good pitcher. And the Hall of Fame is not about the very good. The, The Hall of Fame is about the great. And uh, I think that's my responsibility is to be able to decide between the two. Um, I, I believe on the two votes that I'm so far that I, I'm, I'm making on my Hall of Fame ballot, it's Andrew Jones and uh, Billy Wagner. I think mm-hmm. both of them were great in what they did. Uh, Andrew Jones was the, the, the best center fielder I ever saw since Willie Mays. Okay. And, and, and he was a game changer. Uh, Billy Wagner had 400-plus saves and was a dominant pitcher every year that he pitched in the big leagues. Those are my only two choices this year. There, there are a lot of outstanding players out there, uh, Beltran and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, there's um, three or four other people that should get your attention. A-Rod, if you believe, if you're going to ignore uh, steroids. Manny, if you're going to ignore steroids. I'm not ignoring it this year. So... From that perspective, there's a lot of people I'm not voting for, um, and Mark's one of them. I will say that your argument opens up my mind and my eyes to the fact that uh, baseball has changed and dominance of the past should be looked at in a different way because it's not going to ever be there again. And just let me add this, because, Bruce, you're in the majority. I really expect Mark Burley, who received, uh, I think, 11% of of the votes last year, he may not approach 20 this year. I don't know uh, if he'll get to the 75% uh, mark ever, so he may never get in. But I just feel like this was a personal decision, as every ballot is. You make good points. Everyone has good points on both sides of the equation. I also am with you on Billy Wagner, who has a strikeout rate of 11.92 per nine innings, which is first among pitchers with at least 900 innings. I voted for him. Andrew Jones, great choice as well. We agree there. I also added Scott Rowland, and I added Todd Helton this year. And I added Todd Helton because I felt like, felt like Fred McGriff opened that door a little bit wider only because the Veterans Committee, or the I'm sorry, the Contemporary Era Committee, 
voted in Fred McGriff. And when you look at Todd Helton's accomplishments compared to Fred McGriff's, if one hall is a Hall of Famer, the other one is too, in my view. But I think other people will argue with that. I was with you with Carlos Beltran, did not vote for him. I think his inclusion and involvement with the Astros sign stealing was too too uh, much for me to consider. And um, the other decisions are are steroid era things that I think it's a circular conversation and it's going to be there every year until they decide to add a wing to the Hall of Fame, which acknowledges the steroid era without necessarily inducting those guys. I I feel like a hypocrite about the Hall of Fame uh, steroid era era because there are already guys in there that did steroids. Okay, we know it. And 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 how can you how can you say, well, they're in. Uh, they were voted in that people chose to ignore it and uh, these other guys aren't. So I, I've been up and back on that. I, don't, I still don't feel great. Look, Alex Rodriguez is one of the top 10 players without question. If you just look at the, the numbers on him, he might be in the top seven players all time of, of great players um, because he, twice was caught doing steroids and admitted to it you know i i'm not i can't i can't vote for him at this point okay down the road down the road i I might have to because as these other guys trickle in that did steroids you know and again uh we know for sure they did even though uh we weren't there when they did it i mean i i still think a hall of fame without um clemens and bonds in it is incomplete Okay, uh, because they were great players long before they they were doing steroids. But as some of my baseball friends say to me, how do you know they didn't do it from the beginning of their career? You know, I, and I, I don't I, I can't I can't I can't quantify that. There's a cloud of suspicion that hovers over all of those kind of guys and always will. And that's where I feel like the hall can give people some guidance or, or remove the question, which is an uncomfortable one to address each and every December when we're filling out these ballots because they could you know, have something in the hall that acknowledges this part of baseball's history, which you can't ignore, but is impossible to celebrate without reservation. You know what I mean? This is this is very much what we're talking about. It's kind of a, you feel a little hypocritical because – during, during the time Sammy Sosa was hitting 66 home runs, we were there writing and talking about it and celebrating that. So now we're going to reject it because of some suspicions, which I, which I didn't vote for Sammy either. Here's the last thing about this, Bruce. I feel like a lot of voters like myself were looking at that contemporary era committee for a little bit of direction, and they slammed the door shut on those guys. They didn't get any votes. Fred McGriff was a unanimous selection, and none of the guys like Bonds or Clemens got any consideration because 16 people who were part of the game and maybe you know guardians of the game, if you will, decided that this was an opportunity to send a strong statement rejecting the premise that these guys belonged in the Hall of Fame. I like the Veterans Committee, and I don't like the Veterans Committee. I like the idea because people do fall through the cracks like Fred McGriff, who, who, had, who hit 590, 493 clean home runs, according to people, uh, during an era where people were hitting 600 home runs and hitting 60 a year. Fred hit 35 and drove in 100 every year for like 15 years. So that's what makes him a high-quality uh, player. 
and, and maybe Mark Burley in your conversation gets a view of the Veterans Committee down the road because uh, of his work uh, being reviewed. You know, it's a, it's a great argument. But, um, you know, I, I can't vote for Manny Ramirez. I, I just can't do it. And, and his numbers say yes, you know. Um, Helton wasn't necessarily attached to steroids, but he played in Colorado uh, half of his games. And his numbers are significantly different in Colorado than they were, um, you know, on the road, like every yep. player who plays in Colorado. So, um, again, it's an ever-changing thing. I, I just don't – when people say, well, you, you, can, you can put 10 in and you can vote for 10, I don't think there's 10 guys that warranted for me this year. I'm voting for, I'm voting for two, okay? And, and that's it. You said you're voting for five. Uh, I, I just think that because we have a vote doesn't mean I think the responsibility is either the guys in your mind are a Hall of Famer or they're not. And just because you can vote for 10, you shouldn't necessarily vote for 10 because it's, you know, available to you. I think that's a responsible way to look at it. I, I wouldn't vote for 10 just because I can. I think I voted for five because I feel like they've met the qualifications or the standard. And everybody, it is subjective. It's, that's why baseball is great Then sports are great because of the debate and discussion that comes out of these kinds of um, honors and, 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 and the process. Bruce, I want to ask you this. Regardless of where you stand on Burley, and we are on di- different sides of it right now, how do you think that either attention paid or his career being studied the way that it is now, uh, his worthiness, will affect – John Lester's, because here's another guy, 200 career victories, workhorse, would be rewarded for his dependability. He has more World Series rings and was That's part it. of more winning. But is that is that because of his great performances or because he was in a, on, on better teams? And is that something you factor in as well? Yeah, I think there, it's both, okay? And because he played on two iconic, iconic teams that won world championships uh, in Boston and Chicago, I think that that does impact people's view of him, and they do have a better look. But you're, what you're saying is, well, maybe his numbers weren't all that much better than Mark Burley's, you know, and maybe maybe they're equal pitchers, you know, if you look just at the raw numbers. I, I think, you know, postseason and how you perform and how your team performs does impact you, and unfortunately for Burley, he only got that one, one chance with the uh, White Sox in 2005, performed admirably. Uh, starting and also uh, closing a game out. So uh, it's unfair, but I, I think it does have an impact uh, on uh, people. David, uh, it's been a great show. We have a, we have people to thank. Uh, first of all, Cesar, thank you very much for producing a great show for us. Uh, we also get to thank uh, Marco Patti, the International Scout of the Year, White Sox Scout joined us, as well as the great Pat Hughes, the Hall of Famer Pat Hughes joined us as well. Any time that you can hear Pat Hughes on a Saturday morning is a good Saturday morning. It kind of makes you feel a little bit more uh, calibrated for the rest of the day, doesn't it, Bruce? I mean, just the melodious tones of a Pat Hughes. That uh, was a welcome and fun interview. Yeah, we are um, definitely grateful he joined us, Marco Patti as well. Bruce, I appreciate you um, setting these things up and, and weighing in today. You know, this is a busy day here on The Score. Everyone wants to stay tuned. We've got... All day, a triple header on the NFL. Colts and Vikings, Ravens and Browns, Dolphins and Bills. Where else can you hear, Bruce, a Saturday coach on a Saturday? The Colts head coach, Jeff Saturday. Wow, nobody else has ever done that before. How about that? Uh, that's uh, that's good. <laughs> I, I like that. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. 
and our website, 670score.com. Uh, David, uh, we'll talk to you soon, right after Christmas. I think we're off next week. We'll be back on the 31st. Have a great week. Thanks, Bruce. And, yes, next week, no inside the clubhouse, but you want to tune in anyway because I will be hosting the pregame show for Bears and Bills right here beginning at 9 o'clock next Saturday morning. Thank you for listening to Inside the Clubhouse. Keep it right here, a triple header on the score, starting with Colts, Vikings, Ravens, Browns, Dolphins, Bills. Keep it right here, and we'll talk to you Monday morning on Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.